Hello and welcome to our global S&OP community weekly podcast Brought to you by Ahmed Khalid and Ahmed Al-Hamamsi from Middle East Our global S&OP community podcast mission is to build a global community from supply chain, marketing, trade marketing, sales and finance all over the world Where everyone's voice could be heard and listened Every week we host a new episode with great thought leader in the S&OP industry. We believe that one word, one story, or one conversation could open up the light in the screen of your consciousness and you'll never be the same again. We discuss hot and trending topics with our subject matter experts by asking the right questions that uncover their valuable experience in our show. You can visit our website ahmedkhaled.com .co Stay tuned every week with our global S&OP community podcast. Great. Yeah, our great thought leaders today we have them yes jonathan. exactly you have jonathan kempi and sarah burns humphrey uh, both of course are, are, are great uh, thought leaders as ahmed said they are uh, specialized in uh, logistics and cyber uh, security uh, we have here uh, our uh, our friend Jonathan Kempi. He's uh, he's a founder and and CEO of uh, Verify, uh, keynote speaker, a lecturer. He has years and years of experience, a cybersecurity investor, years and years of experience in Internet of Things and finding uh, supply chain uh, solutions. And we're so proud to have them uh, today. Ahmed, uh, if you can introduce our friend and uh, great uh, also uh, 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 guest, Sarah Burns Humphrey. I think, Sarah, I don't need to introduce her. Because no need introduction, of course. As, as Jonathan, yes. for sure. <laughs> but let me, I'll give a brief about Sarah. Sarah is, for sure, uh, is the host of the popular uh, podcast, Let's Talk Supply Chain. Uh, Sarah is championed all kind of diversities and empowering women in supply chain and logistics. Sarah is the founder and CEO of Blended. And just to let you know about Blended, Blended mission is to make a visual impact in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this is through just uh, conferences with uh, diverse speakers all over the world. Sarah, she is has been voted as a top 100 most influential women in the supply chain field globally. And even she was being voted as the top 100 influential women in Canadian supply chain. Uh, if we could speak about Jonathan and Sarah, I think that we can speak till tomorrow. That's why yes. let's seize this great moment and welcome Sarah and Jonathan. But before welcoming them, let's give the normal applause. Hello. That was Hello. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, Good I to really see you guys. That. Yeah. Great I mean, to see you guys. 
that's what I think the LinkedIn, you know, audience is looking like right now. They're standing. Stand ovation. Great to have you both. And uh, as as I spoke today, that we will have a great uh, episode especially with you guys, you are uh, a great thought leaders in the logistics industry. And we are going to learn a lot from you and from your experience. So welcome again to the show, Sarah and Jonathan. I think we should give uh, Jonathan especially a round of applause because he's uh, tuning in uh, three o'clock in the morning. Huh? Okay, so I'll give this. Yes, deserved. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is very dark outside, but it's so great to be here. It's such a pleasure. To be thank here you. And, uh, thank you, guys, yeah. so much. So, thank you. Thank so you let's... both for having us. Really, really excited to be here. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start moving the wheel and come into our amazing topic today, which is uh, what is the status or the situation that's happening in the international shipping? And the first question that uh, we will ask you guys, and based on your experience, feel free to give us your experience. What is the reason behind the shortage of global containers phenomenon right now? Because we keep hearing that there is a shortage here, there, but based on your experience, what is the main reason behind this? And let's start by, let's say, Sarah, because ladies first, uh, just uh, Mr. Yeah. Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. I was going to start anyways. Jonathan knows. <laughs> Jonathan. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, the, you know, I think the shortage of, of containers started with PPE, right? Because at the beginning yeah. of COVID, all of the countries needed PPE. Uh, everyone yes. around the world needed PPE. And so what happened was PPE was being shipped in containers all around the world. But then what happened was the spike in demand on the yeah. Pacific group, right? And so the steamship lines focused in on that area because that was the area that was making them the most money. But unfortunately, what happened was... They weren't necessarily going back and picking up the empty containers that had the PPE in it to bring yeah. it back into rotation. And so the containers got abandoned. And I think we've got a lot of empty containers just empty containers. There all around the world right now. Yeah, yes. you know, I'll add to that. So the, if yeah. you think of the global fleet, um, 27 million or 20x million containers. Um, doing about 800 million well, at the moment through COVID, probably like a billion port moves in and out. Yeah. Um, they have to be resettled around the world, and your audience would understand that. But there's trade differences. So what Sarah's alluded to is the fact that because there's an imbalance with a lot more containers coming out of Asia than they are going back to North America, um, you need to maintain a, a balance globally. And, and the global balance is actually all right. So if you took COVID, all those sort of the PPE expansion, um, the fact there was a bit of disruption with supply chains out of the equation, the containers can make their way around the world. They, they finally work their way out through the system. Um, but if you chuck in a few variables and a few of these dominoes start to fall, COVID starts to disrupt port movement. So you can't vacate the ports, PPE or other commodities just spike in terms of their demand. People shifted from spending money on services because they couldn't go outside and fly. Mm -hmm. They couldn't go on holidays. They're spending all of that money on things instead. And all of a sudden, boom, starts to ratchet up demand. And, and demand starts to lag behind the container rotation mm -hmm. problem. And before you know it, you've just got this massive gridlock uh, across the supply chain and symptomatic from LA, LAB. <laughs> you see off the port of LA, there's all those ships that are uh, awaiting there. That's a pretty, pretty in, a, a great visual symptom of what's happened around the world. I think we've seen this, what, it was in September or something like that, that this problem in LA uh, of, the, of the shipping uh, containers and all that, yeah. 
So I think it was one of the reasons that this prices uh, spiked for the international uh, shipping rates now. And uh, let's see how it how it will uh, how it will go. Because, uh, it's really getting uh, crazy. <laughs> We're not sure, yeah. Just one of the things that if we come back to the rotation of the containers, I, I would speak about this. Do you think that the congestion that happened in the ports and custom duty and clearance was one of that challenges, especially by region I'm talking? Do you think that this is this one of the major reasons? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously, you know, pure and simple demand went up and, you know, it spiked over e-commerce spiked over 300%, right? And wow. so yeah, yes. what do you do at that point? And I think it was really the domino effect that Jono was talking about, right? Factories mm -hmm. were closing down because of COVID yes. and, um, you know, they had 1800 workers last March that were off at LA and Long Beach because of COVID. Either they had it or they were near somebody who had it. And so that created a huge problem there that we just haven't been able to recoup from. Yes, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Just, this, I was just going to mention specific regions. Yeah. Over in, in this part of the world, if you think of like a manufacturing powerhouse, Vietnam, um, they've had mm -hmm. rolling um, COVID resurgences. and. As soon as you have that, and as Sarah's mentioned about LA, it's the same sort of thing with port workers all over the world. Um, you'll have an outbreak. You've seen this in China quite a bit. The port will shut down. Um, if the port isn't automated, a lot of Chinese ports are automated and a number of ports around the world aren't. Um, getting them back up to speed is very hard. And so if you think of this backlog of containers coming in and trying to be vacated mm -hmm. out of the port back out to their origins, uh, you end up with a real imbalance. In fact, just the other day, I posted about this. Um, there's a great um, image from Visual Capitalist um, and they said there's about 11,000 container difference nice. in terms of capacity mm -hmm. that LA is waiting to process versus what they can vacate from the port. And so if you think about that, those containers are just going to stack up um, literally and figuratively, and it's going to take a while yeah. to clear. Yeah, yeah. I think also this uh, happened happened to me. I was uh, also uh, working for some time on, uh, in India. Also, it happened during this outbreak of uh, COVID also. And all I had the like, uh, company also not working on full capacity and workers are not there. So we could not get uh, our uh, any, a lot of backlog orders and we could not uh, get uh, our, uh, our uh, products uh, on time. So, yeah, I think this is globally happening in the, one country and another depending on, on the COVID, but let's hope, let's hope. I see that there is a glimmer <laughs> of hope. We're seeing that they're starting to discuss about tablets and, uh, and all that for COVID. So let's hope that uh, COVID ends uh, soon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, COVID wasn't the only thing yeah. that really created the shortage. I mean, I think we need to also mention, you know, last winter, Texas got an ice storm. And yeah. it took mm -hmm. out a resin factory, which has also um, challenged the automotive industry, right? Mm -hmm. Because there was a mm -hmm. huge resin factory that provided the resin for car seats, for seats mm -hmm. in the cars. And they're, yeah. <laughs> they've said that they're going to be backlogged into 2022. There's also been, you know, containers overboard, right? We've heard of so mm -hmm. many containers overboard. And I think we've had 
something like a, a 2x of what we normally see of containers overboard. And I mean, who can't forget the Ever Given? I mean, that thing was stuck. <laughs> yes. Up. Yeah, you I know, was just going to mention this in Suez Canal. It was, uh, yeah. it was really uh, tough. And, Same. Uh, and we, were, we were so happy that, it, that well, we managed to, to, to solve this, this issue. It stayed like, what, for a month or three weeks, a month yeah. or something like that. Yeah. It was because of that little digger. A little yes. ridiculous. <laughs> star of the, the star of the show there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so on, let, on the ever given, if you if you think about that, sorry to cut off your um, your question. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, but if you, think about, if you think about what what happens, it's it's like just putting a log jam in a in a popular route. Um, all of the backlog that sits behind that, which was started to amount to about a couple of million TUs, um, causes the ripple effect. And so it's yeah, it's it, it, unjammed. It, it was like 11 or 12 percent of all the shipping lines pass i think from suez canal so it's uh, it's the main uh, uh, place to for for all for all containers to pass and all. yeah you know also yeah. we are both from from egypt and we studied a <laughs> long time ago that how important the suez canal but we discovered this uh, during uh, the last year only we've seen how this yeah. caused the major disruption <laughs> well, you guys, you guys must have hated it a little bit because everyone sort of became an instant expert on the Suez Canal. Yes. <laughs> everyone knew everything about it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So we'll come back into our audience. So we have our friend, yes. Ruzi Alam, just sending greetings. Thank you for Hi, tuning Ruzi. in. Yes, our friend Asfana, she's uh, sending wow. greetings and say, wow, <laughs> thank you for tuning in. <laughs> Our friend Ambreen, that's great. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you, Ambreen, from time. Saudi Arabia. Yes, for sure. Our friend and our brother, Osama Zaid. Yes, salam, the live with Ahmed Khaled and Ahmed Hunt. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Osama. Thank you for joining us. Gulzar. Thank you, Gulzar. Gulzar. She is sending thumbs up. Thank you so much. Osama is Osama on again. fire. Thank you for <laughs> her tuning in again. <laughs> Our friend uh, Mamouche. Hello, everyone. Thank Hi, you for your I'm time. Our lovely friend Tess. Uh, Tess name I know. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you for tuning in, Tess. And our uh, friend Lisa. Lisa. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so our Great favorite professionals. Yeah, thank you for joining us, Lisa Fenton. Yes. Thank Great you so much. Yes, uh, Mamush sending. Wow, that's awesome! Thank you so much. Our lovely broadcaster Gabby. Yes. Thank you for Hi. tuning in. It's a pleasure to have you today and tuning in. Thank you so much. He he caught us finally live. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for tuning in again. Our friends. Uh, Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in again. So I'll, I'll leave it to, to you guys, our audience. Please feel free to ask whatever question that it's stuck into your mind, especially with the logistics and the current situation that we have in the international shipping to our global thought leaders, Jonathan and Sarah today. So feel free. Whatever question that will come firstly, I will jump into it. But let me move into the next question. Uh, we spoke about the, the, the spike that happened and the main shortage that happened into the containers. So what was the reason also behind the, the, the spike or the inflation in the shipping rates? How, how this happened from your experience? 
Jonathan gets to go first on this one. Oh, okay. <laughs> go, Jonathan. Uh, so, um, well, I mean, if you think about inflation just as a concept, so we are on a similar page, um, we have over a period of time some sort of degree of price pressure. Um, this is um, demand-driven inflation where um, prices are escalating. And because of that escalation in prices, and they could not just be the price of the good itself, it's obviously everything that relates to the supply chain that sits behind that price. You end up with the final price of the good becoming expensive. And subsequently, because of that final price being expensive, people are paying more for it. Your, your dollar buys less. That's a summary of what people use. Um, so that's a, a good baseline to start with. Um, where does it come from? It's obviously a multifaceted problem. There's lots of different parts to this. And like Sarah said before, um, when you think about a singular supply chain crisis, it's actually a lot of things all kind of compressed together. And that's exactly the same with inflation. Inflation has come from lots of different uh, places. And if you think of a global supply chain and everything's become increasingly global, um, a little ripple right down at the start becomes a really big wave right at the end. So if you've got manufacturers, let's, let's just use an example. You've got a manufacturer in Vietnam. They've gone through the process of having to deal with a rolling port outage They've had their manufacturing offline for some period of time. All the workers have had to go home. Now they've all come back. If you're an owner of a business that's trying to build something across that time period, your costs haven't necessarily decreased. You've had to try to keep your workforce on. You've had to try to keep your, your doors open. You've had to then try and battle with the supply chain to get your containers and then get them vacated out of the country. By the time your goods leave the country, all of the overheads that you normally would be able to work your way through really quickly um, started to get really expensive. And if it right at the start, mm. it's really expensive. By the time it gets to the end, you add on all the logistics costs of moving across the world, then going through the port process at the other end, getting it off that onto a truck and then from a truck to a warehouse, so, so on and so forth. By the time it reaches the consumer, it actually gets put onto the shelf. There's so much overhead that's been stacked on yeah. that unnaturally mm -hmm. that you're naturally going to start to see prices rise across the board. And that's just what we've seen. Um, and so when people talk about the freight rates of the Trans-Pacific and they say, you know, this time last year it was 2500 to get a container from Shanghai to LA, now it's 20000 well, that inherent cost can be absorbed for some time and people will start to be competitive and try and absorb the cost into their business. But after a while, you just can't do it. All of that stacks yeah. up. And before you know it, inflation starts to run away from you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's not just um, it's not just the cost of the container, right? I mean, the uh, time that it's taking from manufacturing the to lead time, facility, yeah. like the lead yes. time, well, the lead times overseas, mm. and then you've got the lead time production lead time, yeah, on the water. Like we're looking at mm. seventy nine days on the Trans Pacific yeah. route, and so we're not only looking at logistics costs, we're also looking at the capital costs of the goods just sitting yeah. there. And so that, you know, really leads into what Jonathan was saying as well. And I mean, I don't know for you over there, but for us here, I mean, the costs have been passed to their customers, right? We're already seeing that in grocery stores and even at the restaurant levels. And in my opinion, I don't think we're going to go back to pre-COVID levels as far as logistics pricing. I'm hoping, obviously, that the lead times are going to go down. But there will be a rebalance, right? I think after we get a handle on demand and everything's back to 100% capacity and supply chains are rethought. I mean, the strategy behind supply chains, where are the organizations going to take the risk and where aren't mm. they going to take the risk? Those things are going to shuffle and that's going to make a huge difference on costs and on how we actually meet the demand. That's, that's great. Uh, yeah, I think from, from you both. Can, we can. 100%, yeah. 
we yeah, can relate yeah. to this point, especially, especially, uh, uh, sir and uh, Jonathan. I think supply chain risks right now, and that the, the uncertainty that we are surrounded with, it opens an eye for many organization on on how much that they should care about their supplier development, because yeah. an organization that is working uh, their portfolio management on. Uh, 60 or 70 percent on exporting or importing this definitely something like that that came into one second it will disrupt all the business and even it will it will make the business out of the marketplace so i think that now uh, the companies they're trying to optimize between their profit and the profit margin and their inventory level because by this way, they are, if you see that most organizations now, they are moving into localization and their supplier development, even just to ensure that their business is continuing in the marketplace rather than just focusing blindly on profit margins. That's why I think what you, 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 you would said, you said it makes sense 100%. Mm. Yeah. Totally, yeah. I think it, well, this also will take us to the next uh, question that what, what should organizations do proactively to, to face that and the inflation that happened and all that? What are your thoughts uh, about that? Ahead, you got questions. Ah. Oh, you want me to get <laughs> Okay, I'll go. All right. Okay. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, I, I'd say that uh, if I have an observation about supply chain planning, um, hmm. organizations usually approach this in a siloed fashion. Like they'll have a supply chain manager or someone involved in supply chain, perhaps they're in a bit of a back room of the organization. <laughs> they do that sort of black art thing that no one knows much about. Um, but, but if you have the, a CFO view of the organization who's looking at all the different factors, and, and Sarah's already mentioned the cost of capital, you've got the cash to cash process. So when you mm. paid for something, when do you recruit that from the customer? If that has extended dramatically, your supply chain professional who's trying to manage the process of getting you money in from the money you've spent becomes a critical part to the organization. So it's a, I'd say my first recommendation would be get that person really keyed in to the overarching needs of the organization because they can manage it, not just in terms of the movement of the goods as a separate item, but how that fits into your entire business strategy. So that's, that's my first recommendation is if the dialogue hasn't been ratcheted up, as in you're not just running into their room and yelling at them because they've just spent 20,000 bucks <laughs> on a container to get it to, from Shanghai to LA. Uh, wherever it might be traveling around the world um but you're actually engaged with them in a dialogue and um, that's the first mm -hmm. step that i think an organization can do because now this has become everybody's issue it's not just related yeah. to can i shift mm -hmm. something in the logistics sense it's actually everyone's problem um, my second observation is um, get as close to demand as possible so mm -hmm. if your demand bullwhip is putting your entire business out of business um, and it's been doing that previously and every now and then, but you've recovered because you've been able to adjust your inventory, whatever it might be. Um, you've been able to adjust for it. Now is not the time to wait for that bullwhip to sink the entire operation. You need yes. to try and shorten it as much as you can. You need to work out what consumers need so you can produce properly. And then you need to factor in those the different time lags in between so it doesn't end up being wildly out of control. Yeah, that's two things that I've said. I think uh, any of the words yeah. right out of my mouth. I was going to talk yeah. about collaboration. <laughs> <laughs> collaboration and communication. Yeah, that guy is is an ex. <laughs> so, you know, I I'm a big proponent of supply chain, getting together with marketing and customer experience and the sales department. Everybody needs to get involved to drive those savings, 
right? Mm -hmm. And if the one if one doesn't know what the other is doing, you're always going to have inflated costs because they're just not working in tandem. I think the other thing is technology. It's going to play a huge role in savings as well. You know, I think giving the information to the different um, departments for them to come together and collaborate on data is going to be huge. I mean, I have an upcoming episode about data um, and how they provide information to their customers to internally and externally um, improve processes and that that just saves money just naturally. Yes. You know, and that's just on the last mile. I mean, there's so many moving parts in supply chain that you can take a look at and figure out where the risks are, what you want to spend mm -hmm. time on as far as risks are concerned, and how much are those risks going to cost you, right? I think the other thing to think about, like Jonathan said, is getting closer to demand. We've talked a lot about, or I've heard a lot about micro mm -hmm. warehousing. So putting your best sellers, using the data and putting your best sellers closer to the customers that are buying that product, right? Um, we did a, we featured an article in our live show a couple of weeks ago about vertical farming in the food industry. So they're looking at actually creating um, produce closer to the grocery stores. And so not only do you have a smaller lead time, mm -hmm. you're also saving on carbon footprint and you're adding to your sustainability strategy. And I think what we've seen in COVID, I mean, everybody is waiting for something, right? Either your product isn't on the shelf right now, <laughs> or you're waiting for furniture or appliances that are taking up to six months of, at the moment. <laughs> Yeah. So pre-COVID, you know, the Amazon effect was like, give me my product now, 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 now. Well, everybody's also kind of used to waiting at the moment. And so you want to take advantage of that, too. And you want to build that into your sustainable strategy because consumers are now not only looking at how fast can I get my product, but what is that company thinking about when it comes to sustainability and the carbon footprint mm -hmm. behind that delivery? So... I know that was a lot to unpack, <laughs> but <laughs> those are just a few of my suggestions, along with what John Jonathan was saying, you know, to really take a look at your costs and your processes and incorporate that that data that is actually, you know, more valuable than gold right now. I'm um, oil, <laughs> oil, not gold, oil. Right. Incredible, uh, Ahmed. I so, think they deserve so first. They deserve a round of applause. I think for this beautiful <laughs> answer. <laughs> Thank you guys for these amazing yeah. insights. Thank you. So I think that we have the first question from mm. our friend Ayad Kamal. He is saying hello, thinking of the future. Interested to know your thoughts about Metaverse would have on supply chain. Thanks. Mm. What's your thoughts, guys? I know it's, it's uh, in, in the future, but... <laughs> sure. Yeah, go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have a crack <laughs> at that one. Um, so just the Metaverse, as people know, is the, um, the collaboration, which has been spearheaded by Facebook, but has been hinted at by a bunch of different organizations. Um, yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about. And I think COVID has highlighted this more than anything else, especially in supply chain. Um, supply chains are inherently physical. There's things that need to move from A to B and they get put in big metal boxes on boats or on trucks or trains um, and they get flown as well. And, um, and so if you spend time in a, in a virtual world, which is what the metaverse is proposing, 
And there's certain advantages you can get from that because you can do hyper simulations of things yeah. in the real world. But eventually, someone needs to step out of that virtual world and go and do something yeah, in the stuff. supply chain to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'd say there's there's a pros and cons to it, and I. I'd, I would encourage people not to get too carried away with it because much like artificial intelligence <laughs> and all of the, the hula hoop trends that, that came beforehand, yeah. there's been quite a few trends that have come and gone. But I would say it will give us distinct advantages with how to visualize certain parts of, say, the supply chain or the logistics or procurement um, processes that we're familiar with. Um, but eventually people will need to step outside and solve those problems. Um, so don't get too stuck in the virtual. You need to get outside and actually solve real problems. That's and and I'm a, I say that as a technologist as well. I love technology, but at some point you got to draw the line. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah and I think Thank I think you. it'll open up you know opportunities from a VR and an AR standpoint. I mean, like Jonathan said, you have to take it. You can't just follow the shiny bright object just to follow the shiny bright object it has to do something for your organization and i think there's a lot of tools that we're talking about with vr and ar and simulation simulation is huge to cost savings yes right because you can actually see you know sending one box to this particular customer or sending 10 boxes you know, three days later, what the difference is and what the, what that looks like to your bottom line and how you fit into their processes, right? They might not need that one box. They might need the 10 three days later. And so communication, when we're talking about these tools, is going to be huge. We've got to bring everybody together from the supply chain to talk about internal and external processes, mm -hmm. how we're partnering, how we're working together. And that's going to be the real benefit because then you can take a look at what tools you need internally and externally i think we don't need only supply chain supply chain uh, finance and uh, and yeah. uh, and all departments it's like the the smlp that we're talking about and we need collaboration and communication between all, all everyone on uh, on the scenario planning <laughs> and uh, and all that like you're like you're saying the simulation is very important i think uh, during uh, this time people started to understand how important it is to do the different scenarios because before uh, i know and i did that we used to when we talk about scenario planning they say no let's talk about the the coming month the coming three months maximum don't tell me about the next year uh, don't tell right. me about uh, what scenarios I'm, I'm going to do if uh, this happens if if, I, if a if a crisis happened what we're going to do uh, crisis don't uh, don't happen and suddenly we were hit by this covid and uh, and people were not were not prepared so i think people now will 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 be more uh, focused when it comes to this kind of uh, crisis and scenario planning so i totally agree with you both uh, jonathan and sarah Hundred percent, and just uh, if we come back again to our podcast, it's a global S and OP. So coming back, I think that most students they got, you know, uh, uh, betrayed because they think that technology will be able to solve their problems, and artificial intelligence will be able to solve their problems. Machine learning will be able to solve their problems. But when it comes to reality, the real reality, you will find that most challenges it's because of people. And yeah. if we fix the challenges inside the organization because misconflicts and the, the flow of communication, the speed of communication inside it, and the real-time data, how people, they are not working in silos, how they are very open to say the truth to, to each other and just to face the reality, not just to put everything inside some reports, fancy reports. And when it comes to reality, you will find the reality, it's not making sense like what we have or what we forecasted. So 
artificial intelligence or metaverse or uh, whatever good things in the future it will be good yes but let's fix the fundamentals which is we are human 80 percent or 90 percent from our challenges because of the way if we com we communicate or the communication that we have it on a daily basis so if we fix this i think that our business will be able to move because I i'm telling you from experience i see many local companies they are very good to an extent that they are even hit their margins better than that what they expect why because their people are connected together and in the other side i see many multinational companies they are relying too much on the process they're relying too much in the technology but they are not relying on their people that's why you find yeah. them that they are always in you know 360 loop 360 loop doesn't make sense that's why if we come back to our humanity and our way of communication i think that our business will excel yeah thank you guys for this amazing feedback i think we have another uh, question our friend ahmad qasim he is saying please share your thoughts on expected time for leave the current challenge i think it's a very nice question that's a great question and i think a lot of people have this question right now the only challenge is is that jonathan and i don't really have a crystal ball yes <laughs> i wish we did i wish we yeah. did i mean jonathan might might i mean i shouldn't talk for him i'm just speaking one of the things that i will mention that could mm. give you some idea is that costco has uh leased three vessels until the end of 2022. Wow. And so if that's any indication as to what we're going to look like in 2022, <laughs> they think that they need their own vessels and their own containers up until next year. Yeah, so from a, a leading <laughs> retailer like that, if, if that's a if that's your uh, a leading indicator, as in for the yes. next year, we're going to need that additional capacity. That's a really good start for people who are at the retail yeah. level to think, ooh, so it's probably going to be about a year. Um, and most of the experts that I'm engaged with in the industry, um, and these are well-versed professionals from all over the world, they don't definitively call a time, but they say 2022 is still going to be disrupted. So you need to adjust for that. And if that's the case and you're thinking, okay, we've, we've probably hit the top of the spot market peak. It's starting to come down a bit at the moment. And people think, okay, well, it's probably going to start to trend in a downward pattern. You're starting to see a trend with um, big carriers who are assigning people onto longer term contracts. Most people are trying to lock in lower rates, which even if they're half or close to half what they were, they're still about four times what they were previously. Um, and so those long term contracts are going to try and cover them through, which is going to smooth out some of their spending. Um, but you're going to see 2022 being disrupted. And I think the question for your audience is if that's the case, and if we said, okay, worst case scenario, it's similar to what it is now, long lead times, a lot of disruption. What are their organizations doing about that? Yeah. How have they structured yeah. into their 2022 yes. yeah. that, that period? Forecast. So it's yes. this, yeah. So this, this isn't just a, oh, we hope it gets better. And, you know, by J June or July, we're probably seeing the, the light at the end of the tunnel. If you've got a six or eight month mm. window where it's still going to be pretty close to where it is now, um, how are you planning for that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. I think that's really difficult to do right now, you know, as a and I I think about Lisa and conversations that we've had and how difficult it is to forecast not only product for mm -hmm. demand at the moment yeah. and then also forecast your costs and what that's going to look like in the next year. But I think, you know, like Jonathan was saying, if you use this year as a baseline, 
anything you know under that is going to be gravy <laughs> at this point. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Please, no, not again. I think everyone's saying like, we're, we're done with that. Twenty twenty one, go, and we're going to yeah. move on. Yeah, so thank you guys for these uh, insights. Uh, we have another question from our friend Mamouche Mohammed. She is uh, asking, what are the causes on why risk management is applied to supply chain management? Uh, Jonathan, I don't know if you want to take that. I guess for me, you know, there's there's a ton of risks in supply chain right now, yes. all the way from manufacturing to even last mile delivery to your consumer. You know, when you're looking at, you know, different risks, for example, you could look at your packaging right now from a sustainability standpoint. And there's a lot of different things that you can do with that packaging. But running, you know, a certain amount of packaging to make sure that it works is still a risk, right? Looking at new suppliers as far as your manufacturing is concerned, whether you're looking at, you know, moving away from China into India or Vietnam or even bringing certain products yeah. back home. There are risks in every one of those scenarios. So it's really just a matter of taking a look at which which of those risks you are willing to take and not willing to take at this point, given the landscape of what supply chain actually looks like right now. Mm. And I, I'd add to that, that for any organization, it's sometimes easy to consider holistic risk, as in um, COVID poses a risk to our business. <laughs> And yeah. uh, which is which is true. I mean, it poses risk to every business, but in reality, it needs to be drilled down into the specific risk for the company itself. Mm -hmm. As in, what are your risks? Because for some companies, long lead times might be all right because they can manage that inventory. They've got buffers, all of those sorts of. But for other companies, that could absolutely kill the organization. And so, identifying specific risks is really, really important. I think technology enables some of that risk management to be done easier. Because, for yeah. instance, it gives you more visibility over your supply chain than you had before. And so I know a number of providers and us at Verify are looking at different products that can enable more visibility, as in where are my things and how long are they going to take to get to where I am. And so using technology to solve some of those risks is going to be a factor. Um, but there's lots of other business risks that need to be factored into the whole equation. Yeah, and I would I would add in their inventory. I mean, there was a lot of organizations that did just in time prior to COVID. Now they're thinking about holding that inventory. Well, there's a lot of risks in doing yeah. that. Um, mm -hmm. The other example I'll give you is Apple moved their manufacturing or at least some of their manufacturing from China into India. And one of the reasons why they did that was because it opened up a new consumer market for them. And so that move from a manufacturing standpoint wasn't as risky because they were able to open up that consumer market and make money in that particular region. Great example. Yeah, that's that's great example. So uh, com big companies must uh, think geographically where they want to open their uh, their markets to to move their warehouses or move their storage uh, places exactly. And like you said, uh, Jonathan, we should look at uh, a specific per brand, per uh, product, per market based on our industry. Also, if you're going, uh, for example, for a uh, milk company or something's different from. Uh, something that has long lead time versus short lead time products so totally agree with you uh, both that was uh, great uh, answers yes thank you we'll jump question. in it was a great question <laughs> yeah, yeah i agree i agree thank you so much jump into the next question 
our friend Ahmad Qasim, he's asking, do you think that Coca-Cola did uh, of switching to bulk freight instead of normal cargo would be a step moving uh, towards uh, to think out of the box? Yeah, this is another example of where they're willing to take risks and where they're not willing to take risks. I mean, at the moment, a lot of the enterprise organizations like Coca-Cola, Home Depot, Costco, they're looking at leasing their own vessels, leasing their own containers, um, because obviously the, the normal way of doing things is not working for them right now. They're not able to get the product. The lead times don't work with work for them. And so they are looking outside of the box for different ways of being able to do that. And so if that means that they are shipping in bulk and then bottling closer to home, you know, there's a lot of advantages to that. There might also be a lot of disadvantages to that as well, depending on yeah. cost, right? The labor costs might be higher or there might be a labor shortage here, or maybe they have people that they are reskilling to move into that portion of the business. Maybe they already had that you know, side of the business. It just needs to grow at this point because they are gonna move it in bulk and they are gonna have to bottle <laughs> you know, potentially in North America versus the Far East. And so, yeah, I absolutely think that it's, you know, thinking outside of the box is crucial right now, if you can. There are a lot of organizations, small to mid-sized businesses that just can't afford to do that. I mean, I think it was like 80 million to lease a vessel for three months or something like that. Wow. Like that is a lot yeah. of money, but when you yes. break it down to how many containers you can bring over in that vessel, it makes sense for something like somebody like a Home yeah. Depot or a Coca-Cola. And so absolutely, my question to that is, are they going to continue doing that? And are the steamship lines gonna lose potential business because of this, because they're getting used to arranging their own freight. I mean, time will tell and that rebalance. I think it's really important because we're going to see a rebalance, right? I don't think rates are going to go back to pre-COVID. But what I do think is that there's going to be a rebalance. And so what we were seeing at $2,500 a container probably is no more. We are going to see higher costs. We're just not going to see as high as they are right now. There's gonna, it's going to balance out at some point. And then at that point, the brands are going to have to say, well, is it worth us working with the steamship lines and having our containers move that way? Or is it worth for us to have our own equipment and move it ourselves? Yeah, 100%. Oh. 100% because I, if I speak any movement in the supply chain, whether it's bulky, whether it's not bulky, it there, it will trigger something. If I'm talking about the bulk, in the other side, your inventory will be high, right? What about your product shelf lifetime? What about your the product life cycle time? How it looks like? So these kind of acts, I think, it depends on the the business strategy itself. And as we spoke before about the risk management, sometimes, again, we shift our sourcing strategy or supply chain strategy because we see that there is a risk. We learned it from our mistakes in the past. So we have to move this from here to there. And in, in the opposite side, for sure, there will be a trade offs in terms of our inventory. It will cost us this kind of, uh, uh, of cost in the other side. That's why, again, it's all about the leadership. It's all about how people they think and how people they see the future just to make sure that their business continuity is along the way not just one time we had the same mistake and we're out of the market that's why i think it's, it's yeah. ma it makes sense
100%. Yeah. yeah. So and so, as you shift those things as well, there's um, different metrics that need to be applied for, say, spoilage. Mm. So moving in bulk might have a high percentage of spoilage per ton or kilo. Yeah. And, and, uh, or, or it could be more dangerous. So we saw great examples of that where um, an electric bike importer into America uh, who just released a new product put their containers on the deck of a bulk cement carrier. Um, now, mm -hmm. you can do that, but if they fall <laughs> off, your insurer probably is not going to be able to okay. answer your questions. Probably won't take your phone call. Um, so there's a, a few things to, to balance in terms of risk. But, but what I'd encourage, and I think this is great, is that out-of-the-box thinking is pure free market economics at work. People feel this <laughs> pressure. They feel frustration. Then they feel rising costs. And they have to react creatively. And so every time I read one of those things, it kind of warms my heart a little bit because I think, you know, people are really trying to work their way through the system. <laughs> to try and get yeah. whatever they can to where they need to because they're really keen to, to serve their customers. And I think that's, that's a great reflection of how people are resilient during these sorts of times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Sora. We have another question from our friend, Ines. Uh, she's asking, do you think that the new virus uh, discovered in China would affect the supply chain? What are your recommendations to anticipate this crisis? Jonathan, all you. Sure. Um, well, COVID has become everyone's virus, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't really discriminate anymore, which is unfortunate. I'd say there's one key part to the conversation, which has been championed by a lot of different people, and I could call them out. And there are, there's quite a few people across the world doing this. But if you've got a critical linchpin inside your supply chain that does something that the supply chain necessarily needs, you really want to protect that. So if a company has a, a choke point, a weak point, something they really need to work, otherwise the operation will fall apart. You'd probably think conceptually, most people would think, well, I really want to strengthen that so it doesn't fail. Well, at the moment, seafarers are that linchpin to the entire global supply chain. So whenever containerized trade happens, and we all know the statistics, it's 80 or 90% of everything moves in a shipping container at some point. Um, the seafarers on the vessels make the vessels work and make the containers move. Um, so things that we can all do is champion the cause of those critical linchpins, which includes things like allowing them easy access to vaccines and giving them rotational capacity offshore when they when the when the ships land, giving them green lane corridors. There's a whole bunch of different things that we can do, um, and that's just one example of how the global supply chain can react positively to give a distinct benefit to a group of people who whose voice is generally unheard. Um, the same goes for factory workers in different parts of the different countries that are affected by this sort of thing. There's a lot of marginalized and minority groups that don't have much of a voice. And I would hope if we could react positively as a global community, it would be to highlight what those people are going through and how critical they've become to all of our understandings. You think 18 months ago, no one was talking about supply. Oh, a few people were, but the supply chain wasn't on the front page of, this, of CNN. Um, and people weren't talking about these issues at the same volume that they are. And if you guys have been to any Zoom parties or even real parties, but when you go there, people are starting to talk about oh, what happened with the Evergiven. Yeah, a big boat was stuck in the canal. Um, and, and when those things come to public consciousness, we want to rise behind that and say, well, what our duty is, is to make sure that structurally um, those problems which have haunted us for a long period of time are actually fixed. And so I just wanted to call that one out. Um, we're pretty passionate about supporting that in the Let's Talk Supply yeah. Chain family. And, um, and we know a number of other people are across the world. And that's just one example of something that we can do to improve the current situation with COVID. Yeah, and I think I think it was a really great question, and that was a great answer. And I think you know, 
all of us supply chainers need to get behind seafarers because you know you can think about the 80 vessels that are stuck in LA and Long Beach and what what is happening they can't get off the vessel they have to stay on the mm. vessel they can't see their families there's there's a lot that's going on around seafarers and we definitely need to support them but going back to the question too is around this new virus well I guess it depends on how it's going to float through those factories. Is Are there going to be shutdowns? Is it as contagious? If somebody gets it, does everybody have to go home for two weeks? So I think, I think there's a lot of questions that you might want to ask of your factories um, around potentially this, this, if there is a new virus um, and what that looks like and what it means for you as, as a customer to them and then plan accordingly. So do you want to keep all of your eggs in one basket there? Or do you want to then diversify your supplier base? And maybe this is one way to take some action. Exactly. I think uh, opening uh, this, uh, the, the COVID opened this idea of diversifying the, the suppliers and uh, taking from uh, either uh, not, not depending only on China, going to India, going yeah. to Japan, going to other uh, countries for uh, for. Uh, for, for supply and uh, and let's see as you said we don't know about this uh, new virus I hope it's something not uh, serious again we don't need <laughs> no. another uh, another COVID <laughs> so I hope yeah. it's uh, it's uh, it passes by right. smoothly yeah <laughs> yes can, exactly can it get can it get anywhere can it yeah, get anywhere okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 thank you so we'll jump into the next question I think this question we have covered it but let's uh, re recap it quickly our friend Mohammed Wiz, he is uh, saying that is the current unavailability of uh, containers also a reason for global commodity price hike i think definitely yes it, it's yeah. one of the factors right there's multiple multiple factors that are going into obviously the container pricing um including demand being the biggest driver but as well you know, the empty containers that are being left worldwide from PPE and not being brought back into rotation, that definitely has something to do with it because that strains capacity. I think the other thing that I don't know if you know this, but in North America, the shippers are trying to return empties, but the steamship, mm. there's no there's no room for them. And so they, the, the carriers really aren't taking the empties back and then they're charging shippers for the detention and demurrage on those containers. So that part of, you know, that part of the equation for logistics and supply chain is really a, a bigger driver than maybe most people think it is. Jonathan? I, I just add in there a, a competitive note. If you're in a marketplace which has pretty tight competition and your mm -hmm. overheads can be managed so you can maintain price parity to say pre-COVID levels or something with a slight bump and you might see your competitors opportunistically increase their prices because they think, oh, we can kind of blame the supply chain here or shortages or those <laughs> sorts of things. If that's the case, use that as a competitive differentiator. You don't have to rise to the level that your competitor is um, uh, charging their customers. You might be able to comfortably sit underneath that. And if that's the case, and you can for some period of time, you can actually sustain that inside your business, then you can start to gain market share or maybe push into a new region that you didn't consider mm. before. So if there is going to be some sort of inflationary effect that's driven by demand and all these other, uh, other factors, then as a company, you might want to consider that as a competitive uh, advantage to your, to your bottom line. Great point. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, we have another question from our friend uh, Karim. 
Karim, yeah. Karim Komi, thank you. For yeah, what, my what innovative alternatives could emerge from the current shipping crisis? Especially that sea shipping is something that hasn't changed for a very, very long time. Yeah. <laughs> who, will go, who will go ahead, Sarah or uh, Jonathan? Jonathan can take that one. Sure. Sarah, as we well know, and, it, and it's a point of respect as well. Um, the movement of things by sea um, has gone through a slow evolution. Maybe that's how we can describe it. Um, you're starting to see innovative things. You're starting to see, uh, as we've already mentioned, retailers put things on the vessel in, in different ways and formats and in different shapes and sizes. And I think all of that just um, points to an innovative and creative process that needs to continue. Um, and it needs to continue at the lower levels, as in when an individual retailer does that or an FMCG supplier does that. But it needs to um, filter up to the highest levels as well, because mm -hmm. as a global community, we need to all be concerned about how um, supply chains function. We need to all be concerned about sustainability, and we all need to work together to make that happen. It's, it's no longer um, an individual company or an individual country making its own decision in isolation because we're so interdependent now and we're so connected. Um, we need to take advantage of that. And that means we can have, and we've seen this um, somewhat through COP26, uh, where people can actually come together, they can share what's uh, on their mind, what their country folk have been talking about, and then we can all tack together towards uh, an actual solution. And so I, I would really hope that that evolution continues. I don't hope that this is, and I don't think this will just be a one-off, as in COVID came and went, we didn't change anything. I think there is impetus for change. There's a lot of momentum that's been built up. And I think it's our job, and I think you guys are doing a great job of this, um, highlighting what we can do to the general public. So uh, long, yeah. long may it continue. That might yeah, and I don't think innovation is just with technology. I mean, the examples that we've been given, giving with Costco, you know, Coca-Cola looking at shipping in bulk, those are innovative strategies. You know, Costco leasing their own vessels, Home Depot leasing their own vessels, leasing their, their own containers. Those are changes. Like I said, I don't know if it's going to change their strategy completely, but it's now another option for them. And it's an option that they're going to look at mm -hmm. more closely, depending on how it works out for them in the next couple uh, months. Yeah. Thank you, guys. We have, I think... Uh, we have uh, a lot of questions. I don't know if we're yes, going to, able to take it all. <laughs> I think we need uh, another two, three episodes with our great <laughs> I, experts. <laughs> Yeah. Well, they can always, so, they can always reach out to us on LinkedIn if, if sure. they have definitely. Them. definitely, definitely. So we have our friend Noah Ibrahim. Uh, she is speaking about globally logistics challenge many impact like COVID-19, less capacity changing of custom legals, locking ports for a long time as happened in China national holiday for 19 days. It's resulted in increasing uh, containers price, a lot of complexity, there, I will try to continue. A lot of complexity, uh, the containers rotation phased it. Are you suggesting any solutions to decrease the containers price? I think it's a very good one because this is the main reason of the inflation and even the price increase on the consumer because most companies, they're trying to strive for their margins. So the only possible way, if they, don't, if they couldn't find it from their supply chain cost expenses, they try to uh, bear all these costs into the, the consumer. That's why you find the inflation even on shelf availability or the on shelf uh, the prices. So what what's your uh, uh, suggestion based on Noah? Amazing question. 
It's yeah, no, that's a really great question. And I think it comes down to strategy and planning for 2022. I mean, is it, are your shipping costs going to go down? Well, we can't predict that, right? Nobody can really predict that. We're hoping that they're going to go down. Absolutely. But then how does that reflect on if you found a local supplier or a local manufacturer that you could actually buy from? And so what does that look like? It shortens your lead times. You mm. don't have to worry about container pricing, but you have to compare them to see which one is going to be more beneficial to your organization. And I think, you know, as much as you're going to go from freight forwarder to freight forwarder, freight forwarder, freight forwarder, container pricing mm. is what it mm. is right now. You might, you might save some going with one, you might save some going with another, but your transit time might be 55 days versus 75 days. Who knows? There's a lot of different factors that go into it that you have to take a look at and make sure you're comparing apples to apples. So I think really the only way that you can control that is to take a look at what you're doing locally or take a look at what you can be doing locally versus buying um, globally. Yeah, and I'd add to that that for any organization who's considering how to make this work, um, I'd say there's probably one buzzword you want to make sure that people are saying over and over again, which is, is this predictable? Because for 2022, if it's going to be a period of adjustment for the entire organization, you need predictability. As in, it might be better for us as an organization to stomach going to a big steamship line or through a freight border and to say, well, we're going to get our containers for 10 grand on that route, which is much more than we'd normally pay. We really don't like that, but it's definitely cheaper than the current spot rate. And we're going to lock that in for a year because our organization has a tolerance for that. And we can actually, we, it's, it's better for us to have a predictable, stable rate, which we know throughout the year we can financially plan for versus the potential up and down yo-yo we might see over the next year. And yeah, so I think predictability I think is going to be a really- Close really to thing. like the idea of hedging uh, costs and all that, mm -hmm. like, I, I agree with you, especially with what's happening uh, uh, lately. And I think that also uh, companies should be more innovative when it comes to cost savings, because uh, at that time, I think they go to, or, uh, if we talk about the whole organization, they go, for example, to cutting marketing uh, budgets or mm -hmm. to try to make savings, <laughs> some hiring or, or firing, as we see a lot of people lose their jobs to, to make also for companies to make some savings so that they don't uh, raise uh, prices that much. And, uh, that much that they don't risk their their profitability so i hope uh, we we see more innovative uh, solutions instead of hiring and firing and, and cutting marketing costs so i yeah. I, I totally agree with you both yeah yeah absolutely 100 yeah. uh, i think we will take the last question because yes and just i need to have running out of time honestly <laughs> Yes, because we have many questions, so I'm asking people. And also because we have our, our, our friend here is, is, is uh, three o'clock in the morning and now it's, uh, I think, four. He needs to get some sleep. I need to go sleep. That's why, I, can I give him something, Hamamsi and Sarah, please? Please, please. Well, no, listen, I was going to ask you to play that for both of you, because Thank I think, you. you know, you've got an amazing audience who have come <laughs> armed with amazing questions. You and really this has been question. just a really, really fun time. And so I yeah. think you both deserve the applause. The only thing is I don't have the button okay. to do it. So, <laughs> okay, we'll do it for us and for the audience. 
Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll give yeah. it right now for us, please, huh? Yep. What, yes. what I love, what I love about that, what I love about that clip, and people will see it if they're watching in the video, is that guy who comes in late, right at the front. Yes. He's like, yes. oh, everyone, everyone's, oh, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. I like the vibes. Yeah. So we will we jump into the last question. So yeah. our friend, uh, innocent, he's asking, what is required of supply chain management in the ongoing discussion or move towards net zero carbon emission? I think it's more into sustainability. Wow. So yeah. who will take That's it? That's an amazing question. <laughs> well, Sarah, um, you just did a sustainability course on LinkedIn. So well, I think I was this, just is your jam. Say. this is your jam. It's an amazing yeah. question. It has to do with sustainability. We could talk about this for hours. The good news is, is that I just released a LinkedIn learning course called The Fundamental of Sustainable Supply Chain. Wow. Great. And, so right. amazing. Go really and learn more about that. You can do so through the LinkedIn learning course. But I think when you think about supply chain, specifically to your question around that, there are very, there's a lot of moving parts in supply chain. And so where are you going to go zero? Are you going to do it in your manufacturing? Are you going to do it in your logistics? Are you going to do it in your last mile? There's a lot to consider there and you have to, you have to start somewhere. So don't think that you have to start with the grand vision and you have to do zero across the board. You need to start somewhere and you need to start in that one place and just keep taking action every single day towards making that impact. Yeah, and I'd, I'd add to that, that, um, and th I'd say this and definitely don't take it as a threat, but just something to be aware of as an organization. Um, if you're virtue signaling about net zero, as in we're going to be carbon neutral by X, Y, yeah. Z, it's actually more brand damaging for that not to occur <laughs> than if yeah. you had a little incremental change mm. like Sarah's just talked about. Um, people will find mm. out. And as soon as they find out, uh, we've seen this globally, mm. there can be huge moves against any one brand, or even if they're just a small brand, people can pile on you. And, and that's not a really great activity. <laughs> but what it just highlights yes. is that people are very allergic these days to hypocrisy. So if you can make a certain mm. target, then set it realistically and head for that. Um, don't make a huge grand plan if you're not going to get anywhere close to me. Exactly, exactly. I think step by step, and as you said, uh, with uh, with what's happening globally in social media, if uh, any kind of uh, false promises uh, and people, people, uh, you you can lose your the, your whole credibility, uh, reputation of the brand, and all that. Totally, totally agree with you guys. Mm -hmm. Not exactly. only experts in supply chain, but in marketing and. Uh, and really, uh, really, 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 marketing really, yeah, and yes. sales. Sarah, right, Sarah wrote the book on that. Yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah, yeah. Guys, uh, um, we are so pleased. Really, we are so pleased and uh, uh, grateful for your insights today. Again, I'm declaring that I have learned a lot from your amazing insights. Really, as, as we always say, that uh, you, you do make a difference. And at the same time, the, the knowledge that we received and had it from you today, it's a knowledge literally that we are not finding books pleasure to have you today and again thank you yes. so much for accepting our uh, humble invitation you added a lot yeah. of values to our audience and to us and special thank also you. thanks for jonathan i know that you after closing this you will be able to sleep i know <laughs> but, but, but exactly. really thank you so much but before we close please uh, i want to highlight something for our audience 
and I keep it loudly in a loud voice. I want everyone who is listening to us or watching us right now to follow Let's Talk Supply Chain because for me, really, every day when I, I drive uh, by my car, I listen to this amazing podcast. So what I, can I ask you, please, Sarah or Jonathan, if you can leave the, the podcast link in the streaming here so people, they can uh, follow you in your yeah. amazing podcast in Apple or wherever. Thank you so much again. Uh, and to add, and to add also thank you to all the fans who joined us today. Uh, today. And the questions were really, really great. And if we couldn't take some questions, we will try definitely to, to answer the other questions. Or we'll, we hope that we get our guests again uh, uh, with us again, Sarah. And definitely. As, <laughs> as Ahmed said, uh, for me, let's talk supply chain. I've been a fan for, for years for it. And I'm, I'm really uh, think people also should follow Let's Talk Supply Chain. And uh, thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Jonathan, for staying up so late. Thank you, Sarah, of course, for your time. Thank you for all thank our uh, audience. Thank you thank for you. having us. And also thank you so follow much. Our Supply Chain Asia Pack as well. Yes, yes exactly. Please, please. please. And in a variable time zone. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Global S&OP Community Podcast. We hope that you have absorbed some values from this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to be notified every week with the new episode. You can visit our website ahmedkhaled.co or ahmedkhaled.co We believe that one word, one story or one conversation could transform your life. Stay tuned next week with a great thought leader in S&OP. Have a wonderful week ahead.